Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It's February 22nd, 2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. We thank you for uh, bringing us together as a group and uh, focused and ready for this new chapter, Romans chapter 12. So, Father, we pray that for uh, word is truth, wherever they may be, their extended families and friends. And we pray, Father, for obviously there's so much going on, so much trouble in this world. And it's just as Jesus said, in this world we will have trouble. So, Father, we pray for protection, safety in this world as we work and do your will. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as you know, <clears throat> we've been studying in Romans 11 uh, up to now, but we are moving today to uh, a new book or chapter, not book. We're still in the book of Romans, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 in the first verse. Whether we get through this or not, no worries. We're going to take our time. I consider uh, these first few verses are actually so much, so many verses in Romans are classics, where it's just one of those things where you just would love a crack at it, just to be able to say, "Ah, we looked at that verse. We focused on that verse." Because they're so, they're so important to our spiritual lives. I can't tell you how many times we've quoted Romans 12, 1 and 2. They've been often used in uh, application and when it comes down to what is God's will. So we're going to move right into the thought of that. And here we are at these verses. I... I wonder if you have the same excitement. You can tell me when you get to Q&A if you have the same excitement about these verses uh, when you cross them as well. All right, so Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So in your notes, I'm glad we have the Word of God. It gives us guidance on so many things that we need in life. An important part of our life is worship. Of course, we can choose to worship or not to worship. However, to define worship, God has not left this to us. In God's definition of worship, we will not see traditional or cultural standards. When it comes to worship, we all need the same things. So we're going to get to it. Uh, there's a lot that these verses say and uh, a lot of direction given in this, uh, as, as we look at this, this passage. And my hope is that as we do, it will transform our thinking about worship because it's important that we have 
the right perspective approaching what pleases God. So uh, let's, let's get started. So I broke it down in a few places. It looks like a lot, but maybe not. So we'll see where we, how far we get, and we'll make sure we leave some time for Q&A. So the first point is therefore. I used to listen to this guy. <laughs> Every time I try, I try to talk about this word, his voice comes into my head. He used to say, if you see the word therefore, he used to preach, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? <laughs> that he would be preaching, but it's still I still remember him saying that. What is it there for? Anyway, so we got a few points on the word therefore. Point A, in keeping with Paul's style, he draws us into the context. And that's the important part here. It's a connective word. And it's a conclusion that keeps on building and building and building on the context. So as we get to this point, don't look at it as, well, we're starting chapter 12, so we're going to just start a new topic. Mm -mm, not with the Apostle Paul. He is picking up from the context and he's drawing us in to make sure that we're still listening. They're still there. It's like, you know, uh, I, sometimes when you're talking on the phone and it gets really quiet, you better make sure the line is still going because the call could have dropped and you could just be talking into the air. So you got to have a context and Paul's context is obviously chapter 11. And in saying that, there's a lot to think about uh, from the previous chapter, which we have gone through. It took us quite a long time to get through it, and we enjoyed the things we, we saw there. I, I, I did, for sure. I learned a lot of things from Romans chapter 11. So, so therefore, <laughs> we are going to look at some concluding thoughts, and we're going to add some new thoughts from what we just came through. So that's, that's the first point. Point B, in light of that, magnanimous and intricate wisdom detailed for us, what is our response to God? Because that is where the therefore turns. If you look at what he left us with in Romans chapter 11, where we were just praising God at the end because it was a doxology, uh, magnifying the wisdom and majesty and, of God. And, and as we got to that point, because of how it all worked out, how God worked it out, his plans all seemed to dovetail into one another and how he dealt with Israel, and how he's dealing with the church, and, and how it all works is just, just the wisdom of God, as we say. It is intricate. I mean, people have to come to knowledge of this. So we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about how God is dealing with his called uh, partners, one, Israel, to the church, and how he deals with them separately. And this is hopefully 
a part of everybody's theology, I would hope everybody would have the understanding of Romans 11 so that they can know how uh, Israel has a future and how the church uh, is assuming the role, but temporarily, and all that we have learned. So this wisdom was intricate. It was detailed. It needed explanation. Romans 11 does. And we were able to take our time looking at those things. So point C, a proper response to God is first to know him. So if we're going to talk about how we ought to respond to Romans chapter 11, after such wisdom, after in view of, in, in light of, all that God has shown us, what should be our response? And if we're going to have a proper response, especially as it relates to Romans 12, we got to make sure we understand Romans 11. Because that's why he's saying 12, therefore. So I'm hoping when we, if we were to poll everybody here and talk about what did you get out of Romans 11? Well, you you said, well, I got most of it. I got all of it. I got, you could say whatever you, you think. But if we talk about what we got out of Romans 11, our response will be limited by what we know and understand of the wisdom of God. Because our response depends on our knowledge of God. So uh, it's almost like what we used to talk about in terms of when we would say, be thankful, right? Uh, people, or pray, when we praise God. It, when we praise God and we're thankful to God, there really should be some substance behind the praise and the thankfulness. It's not, God is not just into this, this pep rally or, you know, this whole thing where we just get together and just praise him just praise him and if you ask someone why are you praising him and he, they say well I'm just praising him because he's worthy to be praised it, it really I, I'm not saying there's something wrong with doing that but it seems like when I've read in the scriptures about how we reach that crescendo of praise it's because we know something about God We've learned some facet or some new thought of how he has opened up new vistas and ways of thinking in our lives. And we, as we stop and pause for a minute, we, we get to a point where we say, wow, God does want us to have that sort of repose, that time where we reflect on his goodness. And that's what we're doing here. But he's now directing our thoughts to worship. I think it's important that we do know him, that we know something about him. Even when it comes to salvation, we thank God for his priceless gift. We can meditate on that. For the, the gift of God is, takes us out of Adam and and unites us to the person of Christ. And that's a new creation, all that. That's part of the gift of God for us in this age. So point C, a proper response to God is first to know him. 
that we cannot respond to what we do we don't know. And there's a couple thoughts here. John 3, 5, where uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus, let's turn to it. Um, so he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. So these are profound things. But even before that, what I probably should have said was John 3, 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So I would say Nicodemus did not come to meet Christ to talk about this subject. I, my thought is he would have thought in coming to Christ that he had probably a list of questions. And one of the things that he has to say is uh, he, he, Christ cuts him off. He says, uh, he came at night, he says, Rabbi, he calls Jesus Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Christ is going to have to blow Nicodemus's mind here with this thought that he does not understand. In all his professional religious understanding and terminologies and superior vocabulary and all the things that he knows about religion, he doesn't know God. That's, that's surprising. So if anything, if Nicodemus walks away from this encounter with Jesus and he understands, the Holy Spirit penetrates his religious mind, he, he ought to stop and give thanks to God for leading him to this place. You might say, well, wow, he had to start all over. He was a Pharisee. He was somebody, he was a religious leader. He was this. Well, I can tell you what, he was lost. He was without hope in the world. And his encounter with Christ could have led him into salvation. Even if it led him into thinking in a different way, he has to thank God for it. So this is where we are. And we need to stop and make sure we recognize where we are, that we, we should thank God. But I'm saying just praise for the sake of praising has become a popular thing today. And I'm thinking we shouldn't be uh, involved in just praising, just to be praising, just to get our adrenaline up, just to get excited about some concept uh, that is really not based on some knowledge or wisdom that God has given us. So it, it, it doesn't trigger the proper response that God is looking for. And that's why therefore is there. So a couple of scriptures. We already looked at the John. Probably look at, I'm going to adjust my notes from say John 3, 3 through 5. So you may want to adjust yours. And then Ephesians 4.12 is a good way of looking at it. As well, Ephesians 4, 12 says, uh, God gave all this to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
So along the way of being built up, there's going to be a lot of moments where you come to the knowledge of the truth. In those moments, in that time when you stop to celebrate God because of who he is and what he has shown you and the wisdom that he possesses and how he has enlightened you or something to that effect. And I told you before, and this is something interesting, that in the Old Testament, when God did something and... uh, Often, they would build an altar and make a sacrifice to God. And that altar would be built by bricks. And then they would get a sacrifice and usually a burnt offering to God. And this this is more than just, well, okay, God told me to do this, so I'm doing it. It's, it's, It's about the praise, the worship that these people had in their hearts for God. It was their response. And you could read some places in the Old Testament where the writer is saying, and and the place is there even to this day. Now, it doesn't mean to the day we're living in now, but to the day that the writer wrote that, that altar was still there as a memorial to God. And it's important that we have those types of moments as well. We see that we have reached certain milestones in our life and that we can celebrate them. And then 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, uh, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. So that those two goals for God, it's that's what pleases God. You have to know that if if you think about that, There are two things there that rely on our volition in that verse. One, that we be saved. Well, God could just save us if if that was it. But no, he depends on our volition. He wants us to make a choice to trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then the second thought is, and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. To come to the full knowledge of the truth requires you to make more volitional decisions. Each decision you make comes with God responding. Each time you have humility towards God, you can bet God's going to fill your cup because that is how it works. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us to get that humility so he can continue to teach us and, and grow us up in Christ. That is the goal. So so 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 is not just about what pleases God, but when we talk about what pleases God, we have to think in terms of what is our response. And there you have it in 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. Our response is that we choose to believe in his son and that we grow up in Christ. Those two things. So we're keeping we're keeping it going here. This is that was point number one. Therefore, we're going to move into point number two. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, a few points here to make. The word "urge you" or the phrase "urge you." There it is in the Greek. I'm giving you some Greek thoughts here. It means to call near. That is, invite, invoke. <laughs> or beseech, 
call for, be of good comfort, desire, exhort. As hopefully you see that this word can be used in various ways in the Bible. Not so far from the original meaning, however, just know that you might see this word used in different ways in the Bible, which gives us the flavor of the word. But what we want to see is how it's used in the context. So even though we could say, well, we know what that word means throughout the Bible, what we want to know is what that means in the context, right? That's, that's how, why we get these words. Not just, oh, well, he's giving us another Greek word. No, I'm giving you that word because you need to see how that word fits into the context of what we've been saying. So Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So he is obviously inviting us. He's invoking us. He's imploring us to come with him, right? And to do something with him. So that's the thought of the word. Point B, Paul is motivated to these actions and is inviting believers and the word there, as we already said, is adelphos, which means brothers. Right? That, that is the word that means brother. But it, it is a word that encompasses both male and female, because it's talk, really talking about believers. To join him in worshiping God. Now, that's what he's inviting or invoking or bidding that you come. He's beseeching you to come along and worship God with him. And in light of what we had already studied in Romans chapter 11, there we have the context. Uh, so that was point B. Point C, worship is our response to God. And so if you think about anything we do when it comes to God, I know you might say, well, that was an act where I'm believing in Christ. Well, in essence, we just saw that is what pleases God. This is God's will that we believe in his son and that we trust in him for our soul salvation. And that's the same thing, but that is the thought that pleases God. So our volition, right? And, and we, well, first of all, even learning about what Adam was all about and the death and the condemnation and unrighteousness that was there, God, the Holy Spirit, had to teach us those things. And as we learn that, then we were, we were able to allow the Holy Spirit to show us Christ. All of this pleases God. Whenever you see somebody interested in Bible study and think the things of God, that pleases God. God is happy when he is able to reach us and teach us, show us his will, his ways. Because now... He, he, he is not stifled. He is not frustrated by our stubbornness and our uh, sin nature resisting him and rebelling against him. He is able to not only have a will, which is that we all be saved and come to the full knowledge of the truth, but then here is one who is allowing God to lead him in that way. That pleases God. So that is a part of worship. Worship is our response to God. So see it that way. Worship is not just when you go in church and, and you, you raise your hands up and, and everybody's singing and the, the congregation is all praying and you worshiping. And that's, 
worship, just think about what I'm saying. Worship is our response to God. Worship should be pleasing to God. And that's the thought of it. I'm not saying you can't go raise your hand or, or do all those things. If that's what you feel, you go ahead and do that. But what the point is, don't make it so that everybody's going to have the same response. People are going to have different responses to God. We can't judge. Only God can judge what a proper response is. But there are some things that we're going to see God framing to let us know what true worship is. So I think as he does that, I would hope whatever thoughts we have about worship would be conformed to what God says pleases him. That's important. So worship is is our response to God. Certainly, as we saw how the the, how divine orchestration was necessary for bringing many sons into glory. <clears throat> so when we think about what God has done and how it all worked out in Romans uh, chapter 11 and, and what God has done and how, it, it's, how he has uh, delicately worked with the free will of man, even the wayward free will of Israel, and how it all kind of just worked out according to his perfect plan. I just love that verse in Galatians 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. So all of that sort of just worked out. Now in that verse, it didn't say, well, he, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He was crucified by him, by the, those Jews. It didn't go into all of that, but it all sort of worked out according to God's plan. That's the thought of it. And, and how they responded to God was not pleasing. However, God anticipated that. He already knew and it worked out so that he would bring many sons. Now, he couldn't bring many sons into glory prior to Christ's coming. He couldn't do it because we are, we are coming as uh, those born in the second Adam. And he had to come and come on the scene. And then we don't, we're not born, we're not baptized into Christ in his, as he was a baby. Or we're baptized into his death, which means... We're, we're baptized into the glorified Christ. So Christ had to come in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension, and now the session and his glorification. And now, when we are identified with Christ, it is the glorified Christ that we're talking about. So Romans 8, 18 and 19 is an interesting uh, passage. Let's look at it in this regard. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So notice, <clears throat> the children of God to be revealed. That's God's... He is saying in this passage that there is something that he wanted that he is able to bring forward at this particular time. 
Now, it's not finished because where we are is the beginning. I don't know about the beginning. It's 2,000 years in. But we are wherever we are, beginning, middle, or ending point, but God is still calling out many sons in the glory. This is the plan. This is what's going on right now. And he can't wait until it's finished. Uh, and then he goes into a lot of other details, which, but they're all related to the fact that God is bringing many sons into glory. So in all of this, I call it divine orchestration. God is putting it all together. We couldn't see behind the scenes of how he was working it out. All we could say was we got to trust him because we know that he, his, his plan is perfect and his will, uh, he, he's, he's the alpha and the omega. He sees the end from the beginning. We, we know that so we can trust him. We couldn't figure it out, but now we can. Now we see the motive of God in all of this. So that's what's something where we can glory about, where we can now stop and, and think about how great God is. Point D, God's mercy. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What do we mean, God, God's mercy? Well, I could talk about God's mercy in general. I certainly could. Mercy is a great word because we are totally helpless in Adam. There was nothing we could possibly do to please God, to, show, to, to be saved of our own. It, all of it depended on God's mercy. And when I think about his mercy, uh, I, it takes me back to the context, which he's, he's been talking about. And, and here it is in Romans eleven thirty two, the last half of it, so that he may have mercy on them all. So there's that verse. I'm going to go to Romans 11 just to, to read the entire uh, verse. I could have quoted, I should have, but 11, 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. You just have to take some time to meditate on this verse to see all that God is really saying, especially in light of the, we're the ones who were bound over to disobedience. He didn't, and, and this so that, so that is hina, that word, a Greek word there, so that in order that he may have mercy on them all. So, you have to say that even binding all over to disobedience is the mercy of God. And being able to confer or give free salvation to every person that will ever be born on the planet is mercy to them all. And God, does, obviously, he is hindered by man's free will, because some will reject him, but he is able to have mercy on them all. He is, he's ready, it's just that some will not accept mercy, but they, it is offered to them. For God to offer mercy to all of them, it is a legitimate offer. 
It is not like some would say, okay, well, you know, Christ died for your sins, and, and the person says, I'll never believe that. You can say, yeah, well, your sins were not paid for then. <laughs> that doesn't work that way. No, it's a legitimate offer that God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that, in order that, he may have mercy on all of them. So, in view of God's mercy, that just for Paul to say that, it just brings the whole plan of salvation. But not just salvation. It, it is, who's he talking to? He's talking to us who are in Christ. So he's not just talking about uh, the salvation plan. He's really focused on the entire plan to bring many sons into glory. So that's the thought. Let's keep going and let's see how far we get. We're getting there. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So knowing what God has done for us, this is point A, what can we do to honor him and his unique plan in which we are the focus? And I just brought, threw in Philippians 2.8 here. So this is exactly where we're, we talk about in view of God's mercy. Right? It's in view of what he has done for us. What should be our response? And we, we said that depending on what our response is, it is pleasing to God or not pleasing to God. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. But So now we understand the context. Now we know where we're coming from and what God has shown us in those verses uh, about himself. What can we do to honor him and his unique plan which, in which we are the focus? Philippians 2.8, how did Christ handle it? And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it's interesting that we look at that verse in Philippians 2.8. Guess what? Christ was what we might call a martyr. He was, he did offer himself to God his whole life in obedience and humility to the Father's plan. But then he died a martyr's death. He died for all of us. A substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. And God the Father was satisfied with his death in our stead. He died a martyr's death. And being found in appearance as a man, when Christ came, what did he do? He humbled himself to this. He knew that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Imagine that. Just imagine if you were walking up to the River Jordan and John the Baptist was baptizing people and he saw you coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Boy, he's telling you, you're going to die. That's, those are the words that he's telling you. you here, are, here is the sacrifice of God for mankind right there. I'm seeing him come. I think those words should have, well, Christ knew that, but man, to hear those words out loud, he had to come to grips with 
the fact that he was the sacrifice of the whole world. Now, when did he do it? I think it was early on, even before he was 12 years old. I think he began to know it as a child. He, he, he was alive to God. and The Holy Spirit was working in his life, enlightening him to these realities. I think he saw who he was. And he was already uh, endowed with wisdom at age 12 that we saw. So what is he doing? He's the sacrifice. He presented his body. Uh, he did the very same thing that he's telling us. And not only did he do a living sacrifice, not only did he, in obedience, like he says, I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. But he also gave his life for the, in the service of God. So he did what he's asking us to do. But he's telling us, I want you to live. <laughs> I don't... I did the dying part. I need you to live, to be a living sacrifice. Let's talk about it a little bit more. Point B, to offer our bodies. What does that mean, to offer our bodies? It means to give ourselves to this plan in the same way God has for us. Now, that sounds very simple in thought, that we would give ourselves to, to this unique plan. Well, first of all, we have to see the plan in order to give ourselves to it. Now, it's interesting that you can talk, talk, talk about the Father's plan. Well, people have to see it first. They have to see how well documented it is, how well put together it is in Scripture. And then, not just that, but the only way you could possibly see that is God the Holy Spirit has to show that to you. Otherwise, you just are drifting. You, you, you're not even understanding. You, can't, you haven't put it all together. Even though you might have a little piece over here, a little piece over there, a little piece here. But you just haven't put it all together. And you know who puts it together for you? It's God the Holy Spirit. Having that humility will lead you to see these things. And... Once you see it, it's like salvation. Wow, how can it make sense any other way? It just cannot. The only way it can make sense is according to what the Scripture says. And there it is, right there in the Scripture. I mean, it confirms it. So it is literally to give ourselves. But what we realize when we give ourselves to this plan, first we, first we got to see it. Then we got to, once we see it, then we have to give ourselves to it. That means... Submit to it, in obedience to it. Once we see that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are all working toward the same goal, this plan, then you see the plan. And it, to give yourself to the plan would mean you have to give up your life. And that goes to point C. You have to yield your life, surrender ourselves. Allow the Father to use our presence, our place in this world, just like the Lord did when he was here. John 14, 31, Christ says, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to somewhere to sit down and, and on the beach somewhere and have a drink. No. He says, I, 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 let's get up, let's go. We got to go because uh, the, 
the prince of this world is coming, that he does not have any power over me. He says, I love the Father, and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So then he prays to the Father, and then after that, he, he begins to teach the disciples. And then we know what happens next. He goes to the cross. So that is exactly what the Father had for him. Imagine that. So 15.8 is a good uh, scripture here. John 15.8. Let's look at it. It says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So it's not just Christ in the world doing what he knew the Father wanted him to do, but once you see that each one of the members of the Trinity gave of themselves fully, they fully sacrificed everything for the sake of this plan. In view of this, God is asking you now to offer yourself in the same way he, you see them offering themselves. It, it is to allow God to use this space in time in you. It's the Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? This is that he would manifest, that he would walk in you. That, for Christ to allow the Father to walk in him in this manner, now we allow Christ to walk in us. It is a volitional choice. Even though he is in us, it is, his, it is our choice to surrender, to yield to him, to surrender to his lordship in our lives and allow him to direct our lives. So there, there it is, right? The Father, Christ gave up his life to the Father. He says, this is exactly... The Father was here reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. The Father was here in Christ, in that space in time where Christ submitted to the Father and allowed the Father to indwell him and to work. He says, Philip says, show us the Father. He says, no, Philip, don't you know me? Haven't I been with you so long? Anyone who was... Who, who knows me knows the Father. How can you say, know the, show us the Father? Basically, you're talking to him right now. How could you say that when you're talking to the Father? And, and yet, the fact was that Jesus, everything he said yielded to the Father. So here in, in 14.24, he says, Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So look, look, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Christ took a backseat to the Father. Christ allowed the Father to exercise his plan in him in the same way. That is how we yield, surrender ourselves to allow the Father to use our presence, our place, in this world, just like Christ did. It is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. We're going to stop here. I see our time.
and we'll continue with this thought next week. But we have just have a little bit more to go, and uh, we'll continue with this thought um, on next week as we meet next Wednesday, God willing. But we're going to stop, and uh, I did promise that we would have some time where we can do some Q&A, or just hear your thoughts. That's what Q&A is. So we'll stop at this point, and the floor is open. Hang on, let me um, turn on the speaker. To... Oh, go ahead. I got you on the speaker now. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I didn't have enough in a chance to update my notes until later. Um, what was the verse that you referred to? Was that John 3, uh, verses 3 to 5? Yes. Um, what I, I put John 3, 5, but really when I kind of talked about it I talked about it all the way from three three five three through five yeah I was just making the point okay yeah that it might be good yeah. to, to have that in the notes yeah I updated my notes so yeah. all right also had a, a general thought just just because I've, re I've reflected on this before um not too long don't worry <laughs> Um, and I, and I mean that because it was, it was not necessarily in regard to the father's plan directly, but in, in regard to how Paul was living his life. You know, sometimes we, we read what he wrote and it gives me the feeling like, wow, I should, I should give up everything and, and hit the road and whoever supports me on the road, that's my blessing. Mm -hmm. uh, but we know that, that Paul was sustaining himself through tent making. Um, I think it mentions that, but it doesn't really talk about it. Uh, anyway, it's, um, you know, I re relate that to my own life and realize that there's a lot of things that I have and do that are not necessarily, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to easily link it to the Father's plan. And I know we've talked about this before, that, yeah, well, the Father knows where you are and what you're going through and what's in your heart. And um, it, it just seems like there's a, there's a lot of hours, um, you know, where, where it's, uh, it's all about computers um, <laughs> and my career. And then it's, you know, when I get home, if I have energy left over, <laughs> so that's what I devote. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on balance and, and how you maintain that? Because, you know, sometimes, I'm, like I said, I look at this and I'm in black and white thinking all or, all or nothing um, in regard to following God's work. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely have some thoughts. <clears throat> but you're not going to like them. So <laughs> maybe you might. Uh, <laughs> But let's just let's just get them out there first, and then we'll see who likes them and who doesn't. Right? I'm going to read a scripture, and here it is. It's in Galatians two, uh, twenty. Uh, we could start at uh, 
Yeah, 220. I have been, very common scripture, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this verse says that Paul is crucified with Christ. How does he see it? Because what we're talking about is how... What is, how do we strike the proper balance so that we give God some time and then we give, uh, you know, the mundane things of lifetime because we have to do them, right? So actually, there are no, there is no balance. It is all of Christ and none of us. But just think about it. All of Christ consists of the mundane things that you have to be doing as well. That is when he means I'm crucified with Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying it includes all of it. The, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So Christ is going to your job. Christ is working on the computer. Christ is doing all the things that you might be doing that you consider mundane. And what is your attitude <clears throat> when it comes to work? You do your work as what well, unto the Lord. You don't do your work with the focus of, well, you know, Christ, hold on. You you wait over there. I have to go in here. And I know you don't have an ID card to get in, but I do. So I got to go in here and work. You wait here. I'll come get you when it's over. No, it all works out. It's 100%. Now, of course, our submission to God may not be where Paul is. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. In other words, maybe the level of commitment may not be the same. But just, you mentioned it. You said, well, Paul was a tent maker. So I'm sure Paul had to take some time to make tents and to make a living. And so he could go out and preach the gospel and do the things he did. And the answer is yes, he did. That's right. You, you correctly said that. But that's still part of what his services. So when I when I look at this uh, in Ephesians 6, it was the same thing I saw, and I couldn't deny it. <clears throat> Even in Ephesians 6, there were slaves. The Roman Empire was filled with, there were almost more slaves than there were free people. And the free people were worried about an uprising of slaves against, you know, their masters. But I like this verse here. Because it says, serve wholeheartedly, this is Ephesians 6, 7, as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward you, each one, for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now you have to say, now wait a minute, free people can say, well, yeah, I'm serving the Lord or whatever, you know, but a slave has to do a certain thing. His life, his working life, is ordered by his master. He can't, he, can, he doesn't have the freedom to just say, well, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to do what I want to do. He has to do what his master directs him to do. But even though his master is doing the directing, really, because of who he is, God is the one he is serving. Serve 
wholeheartedly, verse 7, as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Because what's going to be at the end of it? A reward. And a reward for service. You might say, well, wait a minute. I didn't do any service. I didn't get to do any service. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Maybe you didn't serve wholeheartedly. Maybe you did. So whether your job is mundane or computers or uh, various jobs, everybody here has different jobs that they're doing to, to be able to be here. If you didn't do that job, would you be able to be here? No. The answer is no, you would not. So how did you get that job? How did you come to get that provision in your life? God gave it to you. And the focus can't be on the job unless you're on the job. Obviously, you got to do your work as unto the Lord, serving wholeheartedly. But the whole thing is a mindset that belongs to God. The whole thing. He owns us while we're here. And to the extent that we submit to him is where the mental part of it allows us to be free, no matter what, as those who are in Christ. Right? Understanding, the understanding of that grows in us until we can say, like the Apostle Paul, I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. So that meant... Christ was building the tents. Christ was doing all the things right, that Paul was doing in those times to support his life so that he could be here so that Christ could live in him. Yeah. Okay, so that's the thought. There is no balance. <laughs> the balance is, it's just our understanding of what we're doing. That's all. And we, we could say... Remember, who, who is the, the one who is leading and guiding us? It's God, the Holy Spirit, who is the one doing the leading and the guiding. That's why I said you might not like it, but you might. But it's up to you. I mean, it, it could be seen in other ways. I saw it in other ways in times past, but that's how I see it today. It's interesting that I'm retired now that I get to see it this way. <laughs> so when you say there is no balance, no, I mean we we have to. It just, it just reminds me of the the pendulum. You know, you know that scripture where it talks about the the pendulum or how we used to utilize that as a as a guiding line. Well, explain that a little bit. I think I remember vaguely about this analogy, but can you, do you remember how we used it more? I got that. Well, I was hoping you were going to help me out on that <laughs> to try to find some balance in this. <laughs> um, I, I guess we use the pendulum. Well, you know what a pendulum is, right? Yes. It's, it's, a, it's how we make a straight line. Yes. So... I mean, of course, we don't always follow the straight and narrow, but there there is a a rule and a, and a line to follow. Anything that is against the word of God, we say is sin. So I think um, in some reference, we use the, the pendulum in, in that respect. If it's not of Christ, it is sin. Mm-hmm. So when, when we talk about balance, 
um, we have to understand when we're outside of the pendulum and we try to get back in line to find balance. And the balance would be to, to walk the straight line. Well, I would say, uh, yes, I, I understand what you're saying. And let's look at it another way. Let's look at it another way. One way to see it is, well, um, and well, if, in the next next week, we're going to talk about that. It under point four B, where it says uh, this speaks of those in the church. We are consecrated, set apart for God's holy purposes. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, it's point C. Since since this speaks of our walk being pure, blameless, we need to have the proper motivation and God's will. And God will do the rest, right? So 1 John 1, 7 through 9. So what is your motivation, right? If you approach this as a drudgery, as a a task, a labor, uh, something that you have to do, and then you're going to leave Christ out of it, then that is not the right motivation to approach that. The right motivation to approach that is that God put us here he, every one of us. Remember Paul says, God separated me from my mother's womb and here I am. We talked about that on Sunday. Where we are in life is where God put us. And where we are is where God expects us to grow. Wherever he plants us, that's where we grow. And that's the thought of it. He has people believers that is in every walk of life wherever we are in life that's where God put us now would we say to God hey God um I don't like where you put me can you please put me somewhere else sure sure yeah we can say that we can say that but that would be us living our lives well Paul said I'm dead I don't care what Paul was or Saul was before. I don't care about that life anymore. This new life is a new attitude with a new motivation. And so whatever he does, wherever, how much, however, the, the time, whatever time he spends doing what people might consider mundane or just whatever it is, he is in service to God. And if he has the proper motivation in that, then there will be a reward for service. Remember, because any volitional choice that, that God and, uh, causes us to make or when he urges us to make will be rewarded. God, God will reward us for whatever good we do, whatever it is. And good will come in various forms. We can't define what good is. God is the one who will do that for us. So I know what we think good is witnessing. <laughs> this is old school, right? Passing out tracks, you know, uh, you know, whenever we have an opportunity, we'll witness. No, good is doing what God has placed you to do. Yeah, that's good. And that's where if you exercise your free will and your motivation toward that end, you will receive a reward. I'll pause. So, so sometimes, like, I know I find myself doing it, walking outside of the will of God. No. So, 
So what do we call that? <laughs> we call that sin. <laughs> I mean, okay. 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 So, so we, we can't we can't say that's where God put us. We we got no business there. I'm kidding, Bill. But but let's let's seriously look at your <laughs> your point of view. Go ahead. So you you were saying. So if we find ourselves outside of God's will, doing something that is outside of God's will, or or not walking toward the light, are we gonna say God put us there? Well, obviously, as I, I, we didn't get to it yet, we're holy and pleasing to God. And point C, where it says our walk must be pure and blameless, right? This is what we're talking about. How can we possibly have a pure and blameless walk? We can't. But only thing we can have is a pure motivation. If you have a pure motivation, God will do the rest. What, what is the rest? And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we know we've walked out of bounds or out of line, what does God do? He tells us to do what? Confess it. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. And to, forgiving us means restoring us to fellowship and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Don't even worry about it. Don't worry, don't worry about it at all. Just go ahead and confess it. Or go ahead and keep on walking in truth. Walking in truth is the way to maintain that fellowship. So, yeah, you're not going to always do what's right. But if you always have the right motive, then God will do the rest. That's what that says. And, no, you're not going to be rewarded for doing what's wrong. <laughs> you're not. That doesn't please God, for sure. But he has made provision for us to be able to, to have the proper motivation to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's why it's important. We're going to talk about motivation next week. We didn't get to it this week. Well, we are talking about it this week. So, But we're going to talk about it next week, too. I'll pause, Bill. Well, it was the right thought, so I don't know if he had something else he wanted to say about it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Bill. There is something I would, I would add to that. I think the, the answer you gave was largely in the, um, from the perspective that, okay, I'm, I don't like my job, you know, God, <laughs> get me another one or something. <laughs> Um, but what what about okay? I'm I'm satisfied with where where I am and what I'm doing, and I'm you know collecting things that are com comfortable in my life, um, taking up new sports or you know something like that. How much how much I guess the question would be, you know, how much comfort do we really need? And and here we have Paul saying, I'm I'm willing to give up everything um, to take my charge to do what I'm I'm called to do. Um, and yet, you know, do we should we have you know that old uh, saying that all the comforts at home uh, when you go out traveling somewhere? Well, we are a sojourner, so we're really traveling. So what are the the comforts of home that should preoccupy us. Well, for each person who, let's just put it this way, for each person, it's different. There is no standard for Christians in this world 
because God has brought believers from every walk of life. So there are people who were slaves and they were saved. There were people who were freemen or people who were masters and they were saved. When, and that is what their status was. That is what their, their job was. There are people who are free people and they are saved. So uh, it depends on where God called you. And even though we don't look at, even though, it's, first of all, let's just say it, it is no crime or sin to want a better job or to, to make more compensation. That there's no nothing wrong with that at all. So what we are, I'm, I'm saying in this is that we are to see our jobs as a means to an end, not as the end, okay? The job is a means to an end because without that job, you may not be able to live in this world. And what happens as you live in this world is, remember, we, we already said it, there are four people inside your body, four. That's you, there's God, the Holy Spirit, there's Christ, and there's the Father. All four of them are there. So God knows that you need sustenance. He knows you need food and water. He, he knows all the things that you need. But he calls people from different walks of life. So he may call somebody who is rich, born rich, never even had to worry for one day about any of those things we're talking about. And then he's called people who live from day to day. They don't even know where they're going to get food tomorrow. They just know they got food today. So from the spectrum of, of that and what our expectations are, when we think about that, is varied. We can't say that there is one standard that fits all believers. But God needs to call believers from all walks of life because he needs to reach people from all walks of life. And so he reaches people in every race, every tongue, every people, so that he has people for his glory. He is bringing many sons in the glory. He says, don't worry about it. You may be the Lord's slave, but you are in Christ. You belong to Christ. And, or you may be rich, and, but be careful that you don't lose your own soul because you know, rich people think that being, you know, their, their blessing is by their own means. So they won't come to Christ and think they need salvation. So there's all kinds of ways when you think about it. We only live in this world for a short time. And God is asking that we serve him while we're here. That's all he's asking us. That we give of ourselves as living sacrifices for him to use our bodies. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Well, what's in your body? Four people. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you. So those are those are the ways. Think about it. We could develop it more as we talk about it. There are other scriptures that talk about how we ought to work and what we should be doing. We should Paul says we should be busy. Keep make sure don't be idle. Keep busy. All these things are important. And he's showing you from the different 
walks of life. And he was saying where uh, the church was at that time, but there were rich people who were called. And, but they had to be busy in another way. Look, Christ tells the example of the landowner who goes out and, and he hires workers for the land. He hired some in the morning, some at noon, and some at the end of the day. Well, we are only focused on the workers, but what about the landowner? Right? He, he was saved in that analogy. And when they pushed back on him, he gave that. Well, this is, Jesus is not saying saved or lost, but people could be in that capacity who are hired, and that's their job. They should do it as unto the Lord. Same way for us. Serve wholeheartedly. Do it as unto the Lord. Whatever is our job while we're here in this world. And then that affords, that allows God to be able to use you in this world. So we don't know you know, the extent of what we will know when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, because he says he will reward us for the things done while in the body. But just remember, in this world, you will have trouble. So it's going to be persecution. Oh, there's a lot that we could bring into this and kind of weave it in. Uh, but uh, it's just a thought, <clears throat> just a thought. I'm throwing it out there. And, uh, no, thanks. Yeah. I think we're close to the end. We are. I was just looking at that. I was coming to the end of my thoughts. <laughs> Other thoughts before we close, or, or or shall we close? Well, we could revisit this some more another time. But there are some thoughts for. Um, we, we're getting to it more. Serve, serving to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to stop now. We'll pick up next week, God willing. Let's bow our heads and we'll close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We thank you for the text that is before us that tells us what true worship is and what pleases you. And so, Father, we want to please you. We want to do your will. We want to focus our attention on you, Father, as we are in this world. Whatever we do, whatever our job is, whatever it happens to be, we thank you for, for providing for us in this world. We thank you for those who have come. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.